0: All right. That was my fault. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Fred's thinking, Dave, what did you do? Uh, but uh, yeah, so we appreciate you, Deb. And by the way, if anyone knows James and Beth Moe, Beth just had her baby Evie. Uh, so Evie was born, I think like Friday or something like that. So uh, sorry, I should know those kinds of things. <laughs> Ladies, you'll have to talk to a lady. <laughs> you want to know like weight and all that because I'm not good at that stuff. Oops. Awesome. Hey, turn with me to James chapter 1, all right? James chapter 1. It's near the end of the New Testament there. And, um, you know, today I kind of have a, I don't know, today's kind of uh, what might call it a fireside chat or a little, you know, coffee with Turner or something like that. I just want to share some things with you. Really, that's fireside chat. That's basically code for this might be random. And so uh, I just have a few things I want to share with you. As I was seeking the Lord, I felt like the Lord had some things He wanted to share with us. There's a number of things the Lord has given to us, prophetic words that He's shared with us. There's a number of things that He's telling us where we're going, if you will. And so it's kind of uh, one of those messages where I want, to, I want to speak to us about where we've been and where we're going. And there's just a few things I want to share with you. And uh, it didn't have, it's not necessarily a part of a series or a specific Title or anything like that, and so we're just going to journey in the Word of God a little bit here and and uh, look at what God is saying to us. And so, um, in fact, uh, Trevor, do we have that declaration? Uh, look on the if you look on the, on uh, the one, that one, yeah. Can we uh, can we take our Bibles? And can we come to the Lord with expectation here? I believe that the Lord has something profound that He wants to give to us and speak to us. Uh, and so let's position our hearts to receive from the Lord. Amen? So take your Bibles, and if you don't have one, that's fine too, because we're going to be hearing it. But, um, and let's, uh, let's declare this with gusto, okay? Amen? All right, so one, two, three. This is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that will change my life forever. Amen, Lord. So, Lord, speak to us through me, Lord, and uh, we pray that they would bring, you would bring transformation to our life through your word in Jesus' name. So in James chapter 1, listen to what James says in verse 21. Starting in verse 21, James chapter 1, James writes this in a letter to the early Christians. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror for he, him, for he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does." The bottom line is that blessing follows obedience. Amen? That obeying the Lord, doing what He said, is always the bottom line. We need to hear the Word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. We need to hear the Word and allow the Word to build up our faith. We need to hear the word because if we don't hear him, we wouldn't know what to do. If you don't know the word, how can you obey the word? But the bottom line is that obedience is always the avenue to blessing. Blessing follows obedience. Blessing does not precede obedience. Amen? So that in Hebrews 10, you can turn there if you want, but I, let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter 10, he says in verse 35 Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which is another, it's an aspect of our faith. Do not cast away your confidence. Which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. Endurance referring to that inward fortitude or strength. uh, Or patient faith. Means you need to believe God and stick with it. Keep believing Him. For you have need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God. You may receive the promise. Some translations say when you have uh, done the will of God. So that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. The blessing follows obedience. Amen? But if you look at what James says, James says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Deceiving yourself. I would say that self-deception is one of the scariest things ever. It's really simple because you don't even know you're deceived. Self-deception. I think any time you're reading in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, and it says, don't be deceived, dot, 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 and it goes on to explain something to you, I would pause. And consider. It's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? If I say to you, don't be deceived. It's telling you that there is something that is very deceptive, very uh, that there is a great potential for us to be deceived on this issue. That there's something that's, that's very tricky, that the enemy schemes and lies and manipulates and that in our own mind we try to trick ourselves and do mental gymnastics, you know. And that when we're told, "Ah, be careful, be aware, watch out, be on your guard. Those types of words you see in the New Testament, we need to stop and say, whoa, why is that? And it says right here, because if you're a hearer of the word but not a doer of the word, you deceive yourself well what's the, what's the deception? What is it that we're deceiving ourselves about? The deception is that the blessing will come without me obeying that the blessing will come before I obey and we deceive ourselves into thinking that we don't need to do what God said. It's a, very, uh, it's a very tricky thing. And when the Bible warns us against this kind of self-deception, it warns us because we're so prone to falling into that. It's very easy to hear the word, and to hear the word, and to hear the word, and to imagine that because I've heard it, I know it. And because I know it, it will work in my life. A lot of times in in Christianity, we believe that the things in the spirit realm are like automatic transmission. You just push on the gas and away we go. But the reality is, it's more like manual transmission. There's something that we've got to do. There's a part that we have to play with our, in our relationship with God that will release the things that God wants to bring. See, when the Lord died for us, He didn't die for our sins so that we wouldn't have to die. The Bible says that when he died, you died too. In Romans 6, it says that when he was on the cross, you were there too. And that happened when you put your faith in Jesus. He died one time, historical reality. I mean, he really did die, really rose again. He was really buried in a tomb, and then three days later, he rose again. But when you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that you were put in Christ. So by faith you were put in Christ and literally what happened to Jesus happened to you. So that you died with Christ and that you rose from the grave. So that just as Jesus died to sin, not for his own sin, but he died to sin and he broke the power of sin, you're dead to the power of sin. Romans 6 says, you're dead to sin. And then just like Jesus rose from the grave and conquered sin and death, you're alive with Christ and the Bible says you're alive to God. That sin no longer has power over you. 2 Corinthians 5 says you no longer belong to yourself, but you belong to Jesus, the one who died for you and rose again. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus at a high price so that you no longer belong to yourself. See, Jesus didn't die so that you could live your life, He died so that he could live his life through you. Now that's a good thing. Because the problem, and by that I don't mean that Jesus somehow takes over your personality or your giftings and we become like the Borg where you become assimilated. When Paul said, I no longer live, it's Christ who lives in me, the life I live I live by faith, he doesn't mean that you become less of who you are. He means that you become who you truly are. You were created in the image of God to be under submission to the authority of the creator king. Your only authority is under his authority. Your only power, your only ability, and your only life is in his life. Like a toaster plugged in. It only works if it's plugged in, right? You unplug the toaster, I don't know why it's not working. Because it's not plugged in anymore. And so you cannot become who you were created to be without Christ. Because apart from Christ, you have no life. It's like a rose that's been cut off of the rose bush. It might look like it's alive. You can put it in water. You can put that, you know, stuff in it. Like I always, you know, you buy, I buy flowers for my wife every once in a while. Not often enough, probably. Not trying to act like I'm all that today. I bring them some flowers or something like that, and I put I, you know I cut it at the angle and put the powder in, and it will last for a little while, right? But it's dead. The moment you sever the rose from the rose bush, it's dead. Bible makes it very clear: Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually. They were separated from the life of God, and it caused its wreaked havoc in there havoc in Adam and. Eve's relationship, and then all throughout human history, it's wreaked havoc, sin. And then one day we physically die, amen? Because the wage of sin is death. Unless we're in Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam all die. But in Christ, all will live. His Spirit is inside of us, giving us life. We're a new creation. We're reconnected, the vine, the branch to the vine. And one day we'll be physically resurrected. But he didn't die so that you could live your life. He died so that he'd live his life through you. Because the problem that we are in is a problem called self. We see everything through a lens of self. Those of you who are married, why, why are you married? Those of you who want to be married, why do you want to be married? Those of you who are who, um, in ministry, why, why are you in ministry? Those of you who want to know your calling, why do you want to know your calling? Why are you going to college right now? Why do you want kids? Is it really about Jesus? Is it really about the other person? Or is it about you? Think about it. Be honest. Think about it. The Bible makes it very clear what sin is. Each of us have gone our own way. We've all gone astray, each of us to our own way. That's what sin is. It's doing it our way. I see, the life, my, I see life through my perspective. I see life through my lens. I see everything I do for me. We're selfish, aren't we? It's all about me. And the Bible says that's the problem. That's the problem. Rooted, obviously, in the deception from the enemy that God isn't good and he's not faithful and he won't keep his promises, we then take things into our own hand and rebel against him, right? Unbelief, pride, rebellion leads to sin. And so the very bondages in our life, the, the brokenness in, the, in our life, the things that we long for wholeness in our life, at the very core of those things that are root broken, at the very core of what's wrong with us, and again, there's a lot right with us because we're made in the image of God and we're wonderful people. But the, at the core of what's wrong, it, what I mean is the sickness that needs to be cured, sin that needs to be forgiven, healing or the brokenness that needs to be made whole, at the very core of it is what? It's selfishness. So Jesus didn't die just so that our sins could be forgiven. He did do that. He didn't die so that you could be freed from self to then live for self. He crucified your selfishness, the broken part of you that the Bible calls flesh, which just means our humanity without God, our fallen side of us, which is just that part of you that is all about you. All about me. He died for that, and he crucified it to the cross to deliver you and save you and set you free from that. And so to say, Jesus, save me. And then somehow to make that the excuse for sin. Well, Jesus like loves me and he died for my sin, so I could just like do whatever I want, right? I can sin and he'll forgive me. Is a completely incongruent thought, right? And it's self deception. It's like the man who's like, uh, decides to go swimming in the ocean for the first time but doesn't know how to swim, you know? Help me, help me, save me, save me, lifeguard, Mr. Lifeguard, save me, save me, save me. And the lifeguard comes running out there, you know, with his tan and his big muscles and runs out there and I just did that for the ladies, you know, paint a little picture for you guys, for you ladies, and, um, just messing. And the guy runs out there and rescues the man and pulls him out of the water and, Guy's coughing up water. (coughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much for saving me. Saving me. All right. And then goes and runs back into the water. That's what we do, don't we? He didn't die so that you could do the same dumb thing again. He didn't die so that you could be led by your own flesh which brings death and destruction to your life and to other people's lives. He died so that you would die, be forgiven of sin, so you could have a right relation with God because he loves you and he forgives you of your sin and he makes everything right. Praise God, that's good stuff. But he died so you'd be delivered from self, from self-deception, selfishness, wrong perceptions, wrong attitudes, wrong ways of thinking, wrong ways of talking, wrong ways of relating to other people that are all about you. You, you, you. You, you. It's all about you. And see, the enemy comes into that, doesn't he? See, a lot of times we blame the devil. The devil's attacking us. Well, yeah, the devil does do that, right? The devil's a schemer and a liar. And what he does is he plays on our selfishness and he deceives. He has no real authority and he has no real power over you. The Bible says he is like a roaring lion prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. Not whom he can devour, but whom he may. Meaning who will give him permission. Right, you remember that in school whenever you said, teacher, can I go to the bathroom? And she'd go, can you? And you were like, I'm asking you. And she would say, may you go to the bathroom, right? He's looking for who would give him permission. The Bible says, don't give the devil a foothold or give him place. He's scheming. He's looking for whom he can, what? Deceive. And so he plays on us, doesn't he? Do you think if you're, if you're thinking about you, you, you need a you need to guard yourself against that person because they're going to hurt you. You Need to set boundaries. You need to you need to separate yourself from them because, because and, and 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 they did this to you and they did that to you. You deserve better and 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 you 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 shouldn't you you you. Do, do, who do you do you think that's coming from Jesus or do you think that's coming from the devil? Hey, yeah, you need to die to those expectations. You need to forgive. You need to go talk to them. You need to work towards reconciliation. Who do you think that one's coming from? Do 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 you see what I'm saying? Do you think, do you think, man, she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't love you? You need you just need to take you should do it. You know what you need to do? You need to do something that's gonna make her mad. Who's that coming from? See, the spirit's only gonna lead you to do what the spirit says to do, right? The spirit's only going to lead you to do what the word says. So if you're not thinking what the word says. If you don't even know what the word says, how can you be obeying the Lord? How can you say that you're being led by the Spirit if you don't if you're not led by the Word? How can you say that you're being uh, if, that Jesus is your Lord if you don't do what he says, right? Remember Jesus said that in Luke chapter 6? Hey, why do you call me Lord, Lord, not do what I say? So will the Spirit lead you to do something that the Word doesn't say to What will the Spirit always lead you to do? Obey the word. Right? But what will the enemy always cause you to do? You always play on your selfishness. You, you, you. It's all about you. It's all about your happiness, your pleasure, right? It's all about you. You gotta protect yourself, you gotta fight for your rights. You to Provide for yourself. You do it in your own strength. What will the Lord always lead you to do? Always lead you to intimacy with the Lord. Self-deception. It's when we want the blessing without obedience. We want the benefit without the work. See, we live in a fantasy culture, don't we? Fantasy culture, don't we? It's very easy in our culture with all the TV and media around us to imagine ourselves successful when we're not. I was talking to Fred about this, and we both agreed. There's a concern that we have for our kids, and we make sure that there's boundaries. you play playing the Wii Sports. Whew, it's easy to get a home run, yeah? You're playing the Wii Sports, man. Woo, look at me, I'm the man. But there's a big difference between getting a home run on Wii Sports and going out there and doing the work, Right? It's a lot harder. You're going to fail, are you not? You're going to fail. Yes? You're going to play real sports. You're going to miss the ball. You're going to make an error. You're going to not be that good. So you take a five-year-old, what would a five-year-old rather do? Play the Wii Sports and have instant gratification, instant success, and a false sense of security... Aha, look at me, I'm the man. Or, actually learn. Which means hard work, sweat, determination, falling down, getting back up again, and little by little by little by little by little by little by little, you get better. We live in a fantasy culture. We sacrifice long-term gain... For short term pleasure. TV, video games, things like that, it creates in us a sense of a fantasy world where you can experience the world vicariously through something else. You can have short term instant gratification. But the problem is when you sacrifice long term gain for short term pleasure, instant gratification, well, that's the problem. Let me say it that way. That's the problem. You sacrifice long term gain. You sacrifice true success when you go for the short term pleasure. That's really what pornography is. You sacrifice short term, I mean, you sacrifice long term gain. You sacrifice long term true intimacy, true pleasure rooted in relationship for short term gain. Or a self pleasure that is fantasy. It's not reality. It's not relationship. Now, I use the word pornography, but this could even, you know, you know men may be looking at pornography or, or ladies, you know, with emotional adultery. But that's just one example. We do the same thing with money called the deceitfulness of wealth. We imagine that thing will make me more happy. If only I had that thing, I would be happy, right? The whole grass is greener on the other side. Now, if the grass is greener on the other side, what do you do? Water your own lawn, right? (laughs) Or buy a hose or a sprinkler system or something like that. The grass is greener on the other side, you water your own lawn. So self-deception... Self-deception gets in on that. Gets in on that fantasy world. And it tells you that you can have instant pleasure. That's the lure of sin. You can have instant pleasure. You can have instant success. Apart from intimacy with God. That's what it says. You can have instant pleasure apart from intimacy with your spouse. Because intimacy requires what? Death. You have to die to self to have intimacy with God or die to self to have intimacy with other people. Because my brokenness rubs off on your brokenness. Conflict is actually a good thing. We shouldn't blame the devil for conflict. That can actually be a good thing. Conflict is good. Some of the best, healthiest things in my life come out of conflict with my wife so that we can work it through. Conflict is good. What's bad, where the devil comes in on that, where we blame the devil, is when we're being dumb, right? (laughs) When we're being selfish or where we start to have entitlement mentalities or hold people up to our own expectations and things like that the unforgiveness, the, the selfishness. But the conflict can actually lead to healthy communication, which can lead to us working through our issues. And so you can imagine that we can... Um, you could get to a place in your life and say... How come God hasn't done that in my life? And if you're saying that Isn't that self-deception? Isn't that already evidence that you've blamed the lack of fruit on some some random Concept of God's sovereignty. When the Bible says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. The blessing follows obedience. But what happens is we hear the word and we can imagine ourselves obeying when we didn't really obey. Right? So I can say Let's be a people of justice. Let's be a people who take care of others. Alleviate the plight of the poor. And we can all say, Amen. Amen. Good word, brother. I can have a good illustration. Inspire you. Entertain you. We can say Amen. And then walk out these doors, come back a month later, you know, you know, come back a week later, but let's say a month later, I say, we need to be a people of justice. And you can say, oh yeah, I heard that. You preached that a month ago. I remember that. Amen. And we say amen because we heard it before. But did we live it? if a value in your life does not exist in your weekly schedule, it's fantasy. Right? It's Not reality. If you have a calling on your life, a mission that you've been given from the Lord, if you have a calling on your life, if you have certain values, but that doesn't exist, it doesn't manifest in your weekly schedule, your daily, weekly kind of schedule, then are you a hearer only or a doer? that makes sense? Now, I don't bring this up, you know, these last number of minutes. I don't say this because I think that you're do, uh, hearers only. I think you guys are awesome. This thing is something we've got to talk about. I think there's a lot of you who are implementing the Word of God to, into your life. I share this with you this morning because I think you need to hear it to strengthen you. And then, of course, there are some, maybe, who are not implementing things into our life, into their life, I mean. Or there's areas where we all need to remind, remember this. Guard against self-deception. So Again, I don't bring this up in any way to be negative, but we need to guard against self deception so that we don't say, I don't know why God didn't do this. Well, how come God let that happen? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? and blame it on a false sense of God's sovereignty when blessing follows obedience? Jesus didn't die. So that you could disobey God. He died so that you could obey God. To deliver you from sin. Both the penalty and the power of sin. When the Bible says where sin abounds grace all the more. It doesn't say that because when you sin God gives you more forgiveness. Only. Now he does give you more forgiveness. But you read the context of Romans 5 and 6 where sin abounds, grace all the more means when you mess it up, God just is amazing at restoring you and redeeming you and bringing you to wholeness. That's what I love to you know, see in our church. We mess it up. And no matter how much you sin, you cannot out-grace the, cannot outsin the grace of God. But that doesn't mean you should try. The point is that there's grace for your healing and your restoration. And there's grace for your obedience. Jesus is grace. And in Titus chapter 3 it says that his grace teaches us to say no to sin. Isn't that great? Grace is not just forgiveness. It's literally the power and the resources and the tools from the outside. What you don't have in yourself to give to you what you need. It is empowerment. It is discipleship. So that some people, you'll say to them, we need to be disciplined followers of Jesus, and they'll call that legalism. But no, that's called grace. Discipline is grace. But there's a difference between preaching at someone and empowering someone. If my son was a two-year-old and I said, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. He doesn't have a clue how to clean his room, right? When he was two, my son's six now. He doesn't have a clue how to clean his room. That, that, that's, that's, that's religion. Commandment without empowerment. And that's not what Jesus has done. He empowers us to do everything he's called us to do. He is literally giving us himself for the obedience, right? Grace or discipline is, well, I wouldn't want to be legalistic, so you don't have to clean your room. Just go play. I won't teach you how to be responsible. But that's how a lot of churches are, right? Right? We come into church and we put on our religious caps a lot of times, don't we? The self-deception cap. And we hear the word, but we don't do it. We think that these things will happen automatically. We think the blessings and the promises will just happen automatically. But that doesn't happen in any area of life, does it? In every area of life, only good things come from discipline, hard work, right? We know that in every area of life except when we come into church. We put on our religious caps. Grace is when I come to my son and say, son, let's clean your room together. When he's two and he doesn't know how to do it, that's when he needs to learn, right? Look at what James says in James chapter 1. He says in verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, see that? And continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. It's the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty, referring to the Bible, the word of God, looks into the perfect law of liberty like a mirror and continues in it Did you see that? And continues in it. See, when we meditate the word of God, when we pray the word, when we take, you know, let's say you hear this message today and you take this and you feed on it, you meditate on it, you talk about it with friends, that is so that you can meditate the word and see yourself doing what the word says. When you meditate on something, you see yourself doing it. You're meditating all the time. You're telling yourself messages, you're telling yourself who you are, the world is telling you who you are, you're watching TV, or you're doing this, you know, you're listening to who you are from all these different sources are coming into you. The question is not if you should meditate, but what we should meditate on. When you meditate on the word, meaning you look at the word, you let the mirror of the word tell you who you are. Lord, who am I? The word tells you who you are. Who are you? The word tells you who God is. Lord, what should I do? How should I live? The word tells you, right? And then you meditate that. What you're doing is you're getting up with Jesus. You're hanging out with Jesus. You're spending time with Jesus. And you're letting Jesus talk with you, work with you, teach you. And what begins to happen when you meditate the word of God is you imagine yourself obeying the word. Does that make sense? Husbands, love your wives as Christ of the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ of the church. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not self-seeking, it's not boastful. Love is patient, love is patient, love is patient. As you meditate the word and you hang out with Jesus and you talk to Jesus and you say, Lord, teach me to be patient. Lord, how, what does it mean to be patient? Lord, I'm asking you, I'm seeking you. Like the Bible says to do, right? The Bible tells us to seek treasure, tr- seek, seek the truth in the word as if it was hidden treasure. Seek it, study it, meditate on the word. We're told to meditate the word day and night. We're told to pray, cry out to God, ask the Lord. Hey, anyone lack wisdom, ask God. We're told to do these things. These are commandments, right? So when you do that, you're hanging out with the one who knows everything about everything. You're hanging out with the one who is perfectly patient, is the best husband, right? Like Jesus knows everything, right? He's the perfect leader. He's the perfect pastor. He's the perfect husband. He knows everything about everything. He's completely wise. Does he, know, does he not know something that you need to know? No, but I'm an entrepreneur. I, I mean, I got to do this on my own. Is there something that you have to do in life that He doesn't know how you are to do it? And He has called you. If you're doing what He's called you to do, He will give to you what you need, right? Is there anything that Jesus cannot do? So why are you looking somewhere else than Jesus? Does that make sense? then why are you looking somewhere else than to Jesus if he knows everything you need to know and can do anything that you need him to do and he's living inside of you by his spirit? And so meditating the word, coming to him, listening to him, crying out to him, seeking him that he would speak to you by his spirit, you're getting up close to him so he can impart himself to you. So you can obey him. I mean, you are obeying him by being with him, but ultimately, so you can do it. So it's like me coming to my son and saying, let's clean your room together. Does that make sense? Let's clean your room together. And what do I do? I teach my son how to clean his room. And, I, and my wife did this as well when he was two years old. And we're beginning to do this with Emma. And how do you, this is how you do it. This is where things go. So that now when my son is six years old, he can do it himself. That's what the Lord wants. He doesn't want you to do it in your own human effort, but what I mean is he wants you to be able to obey him. Let me say it this way. You don't know something until it's muscle memory. Do you even have to think about how to ride a bike, most of you, right? Do you even have to think how to swim? Do you even have to think how to drive a car? Do you, those of you who are music, musicians, do you have to think how to play it? The only time you have to think about something you really know how to do is when you teach someone else. Muscle memory, right? Or when you're learning a new skill on that particular thing, maybe like an instrument, you're learning the next level. How do you know that Christ is formed in you? How do you know that his fruit or his character is formed in you, when it's natural to you? That makes sense? You don't have to think about being patient when you are patient. You do it naturally because Christ has been formed in you. When is it just you trying to do it in your own human effort? When you got to think about it. See, I come to the Lord, and I come to the Lord, and I come to the Lord, and I spend time with Him, I spend time with Him, I spend time with Him. I meditate the Word, I meditate the Word, I cry out to God, I seek the Lord, I seek the Lord, and He gives me insight. See I mean, the 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 uh, you know, I was talking to my wife. Even we've been going through some cool debating, arguing. Let's call it that. We've been working through some stuff. It's been good. But my wife will say, if I say, five years ago you didn't feel served by me. Do you feel served? Do you feel like you're number one? Do you do you feel like you're loved? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Does she know why? Probably not. But I know why. Because day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, I'm seeking the Lord, praying out to God, and here's what happens: He'll speak to me. He'll show me how to do things that I didn't know how to do. He shows me things that I need to do for her that I didn't know how to do for her. He changes my character. Then he changes my attitude. <laughs> One and the same, but I mean, like you know, you start trying to do something, and you have a bad attitude about it. Change my attitude, little by little, 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 until what? It's natural. Till now, I'm just different, and who notices? She does. That's ultimately what happens, is it not? You become different because you're like Christ, and people now experience Christ through you instead of you. But every time I've gotten breakthroughs in my walk with God, it's always been spending time with Him, hearing His voice, little by little by little, and then I'm different. And here's how I know I'm different, because I look back and I say, I don't remember changing, but I'm different. But it only comes by spending time with Him. It only comes when you look into the Word of God and continue in it. But when you just hear and then walk away, you can't even remember who you are or what the Word is said to do. So we need to be doers of the Word, not just hearers. Amen? Because blessing follows obedience. We've been walking in the footsteps of King David Learning how to do what David did, to live like David. But do you do what David did? So, do you want to see the life of Christ flow through you? Do you want to see the blessings and the power of God like David did? Or, like the other men and women of God in the scriptures did. Do you want to see that power? Do you want to see that blessing? Do you want to fulfill your calling? Well, then you've got to sow, don't you? If you want to reap, you've got to do if you want to see the blessing. Amen? So, what are we learning? What are we learning? if we're not implementing. Amen? Sam, come on up.